Grab your Bibles and look with me in Luke chapter 22. If you didn't bring your uh, Bible, the passage is on the back of your sermon outline for this morning, Luke 22. We're continuing to work our way through the uh, Lord's Supper passage. We've been uh, in this um, larger chapter for um, about three or four weeks now. And what we want to talk about this morning, uh, we're going to dig into this passage uh, in Luke chapter 22, and I realize it's Easter Sunday, and so we definitely want to get over to how this relates to Easter Sunday. And uh, even though we're not looking at specifically a resurrection story, what Jesus says here ties directly into uh, what we celebrate and what we learn um, when, uh, when we realize that Christ has risen on Easter Sunday. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 22. We're going to read 24 uh, through 27. He's just done the communion stuff right before that, and in 24 it says, A dispute arose among them, as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves, is not the one who is at the table. But I am among you as one who serves. This is the word of the Lord. So this will be an obscure debate for some of you guys, but uh, years ago, of course, you know I'm a big golfer and all three of my boys are big golfers, and years ago it came up in discussion who the greatest golfer of all time was. And they were all in general agreement that it was Tiger Woods because of all that he's accomplished. And then they turned to me and they said, Dad, who do you think the greatest golfer of all time is? And they, of course, presumed that I was going to say Tiger Woods too. And I said, and for those of you that aren't golf fans, this will be an obscure reference, but I said Bobby Jones, who was an amateur golfer who about 100 years ago won the Grand Slam. You don't care about that. But anyway, I, I said I thought he was the greatest golfer. Are you insane? That's the dumbest answer I've ever heard, they all told me. Um, and so we, we ended up in this big debate back and forth and back and forth. And I'm not going to enter that debate today because Evan's here and he'll stand up and tell me to shut up because I'm wrong again. But, but a large part of, the, uh, of figuring out who the greatest golfer is of all time, it, a lot of it depends on how you define greatest. Is it the one who's won the most major championships? Well, then it's Jack Nicklaus. Is it the one that introduced the game to more people than anybody else? Well, then it's Arnold Palmer. Is it an amateur who won the Grand Slam? Then it's Bobby Jones. Is it the most famous golfer of all time and the most dominant golfer of all time? Then it's Tiger Woods. It really depends, if you're going to say somebody's the greatest, it really depends on how you define greatest. And as we look at our passage for this morning, we want to talk about the idea of being the greatest. And the disciples here obviously are thinking about it because verse 24 tells us that. And so let's start with a question or with, a, with an idea this morning uh, that, we want to, uh, that we want to get into. And the question is, is it wrong to want to be great? And it's interesting here, Jesus doesn't say don't be great, but instead tells them how to be great. Jesus doesn't say don't be great, but instead tells them how to be great. So as we think about that idea of wanting to be great, and this is an idea that's within a lot of folks. Now, there are some folks who are just, yeah, I'm just trying to get through the day. I'm not worried about that. But for a lot of people, we think about, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to waste my life. I want to do something substantial. And pick your word. 
greatness or, or, or leave a legacy or I want my life to matter or whatever the phrasing may happen to be, a lot of us want to do something that is great. And it's interesting here because we know some of the other teaching of Christ when it says, let's go ahead and look at verse 24 there, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. So it's on their minds. They're thinking about it. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's John, or maybe it's Peter, or maybe it's Jude. You know, they, they just don't know. And so as they're having this debate back and forth, you, there's a part of me that would kind of think that Jesus would say, you know, nope, nope, we're, we're not going to discuss this at all. We're, we're not going to talk about being greatest at all. But that's not what he says. Instead, he gives them insight here, and in one other passage we're going to look at, he gives them insight into, okay, well, if you want to be greatest, here's what you need to do. And this is important because, to go back to what I said a moment ago, when we were talking about golfers, greatness really depends on how you, greatness in terms of golf really depends on how you define it. Is it major championships? Is it introducing people to the game? Is it the most dominant player? How do you define greatness? And in the same way as we look at this passage, when we talk about greatness, we know that there's a lot of things in this world that people say, okay, well, you know, that, that person's great. That person's really accomplished a lot. That person has lived a life of substance that, that really matters. And generally when they say that, they're defining things in the way that the world says. Oh, you know, they end up as CEO of this, of this multinational corporation. Or, oh, he's one of the richest men in the world. But as we look at this passage this morning, here's my argument. If I want to be great, I better make sure I have the right definition. And if you want to know how greatness is defined, my recommendation would be, let's ask Jesus how greatness is defined. So I want to look at this passage this morning and talk about greatness, and then after we've talked about that, I want to talk about what exactly he's going for and how exactly we get there in terms of greatness. So, second thing in your outline this morning, how to be Great. How to be great. And the answer is this. Humbly obey Christ's teaching even in the smallest situations. Humbly obey Christ's teaching even in the smallest situations. So there's two passages we need to look at. To, uh, that's kind of a summary statement of those two passages. The first one is here. So we're, we're going to talk about in the smallest of situations. We'll get to the, the obeying part here in just a second. So let's look at verse 25. Verse 24 told us they're disputing, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest among them. And listen to what Jesus has to say. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call them benefactors, call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. All right, let's pause for a second. So the first thing we notice here is the way that the world does it, which is, I'm an important person, I have all these people obeying me, I'm, I'm the big shot. Jesus says, nope, that's out the window. We're not doing it like that. So if today you are defining greatness by the way the world defines it, Jesus says that you're barking up the wrong tree. Jesus says you're heading in a direction that's not going to achieve greatness. So in verse 26, but, so he's going to give us a different answer. Instead, he says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one 
who is at the table? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus sets up the definition here, and he sets up an example. We know, for instance, on this night, Jesus washed the disciples' feet as a sign of being a servant to them. And so rather than saying, I'm the big person and, and I'm in charge, and so everybody needs to bow down to me, instead Jesus here says, I'm among you as a servant. And even in the smallest things, even uh, washing the disciples' feet, which is something that normally the, the lowest servant would have done, Jesus says, I'm going to be like a servant among you. Now, flip back with me to Matthew chapter 5 for a second, because there we see the second half of this definition, and then we'll bring it all together. In Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard me say before, the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached, period, end of discussion. Jesus is laying out, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what I'm going to do, and this is what your life is going to look like if you're following me. And early on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus here gives another statement about greatness. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 19, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of, these, one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Here's the part we're interested in right now. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here again, we have the same thing we had over in the passage we were just reading. When it comes to greatness, Jesus doesn't say, nope, no, I'm not going to tell you anything about that. But rather, Jesus lays out for you, okay, if you want to be great, here, here, here's how you bring that about. So look at what we just wrote down in the sermon outline. We're trying to bring those two together. Humbly obey Christ's teaching, even in the smallest situations. So the idea there is that I am to obey Christ, going to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to do the things he told me to do. I'm going to walk with him and try to obey him. He's my teacher. He's my mentor. I am his servant. I am his disciple. And so I'm walking forward with him. And as I do that, I'm willing to obey him, not just when it's something really important or, or, or it's a situation where I can get recognition, but going to the Luke 22 passage, even in the smallest of circumstances, even when no one is paying attention, I am to be a servant. Let me give a, a, a silly, a very small example from this last week. So this last week, uh, one of the afternoons, somebody calls and uh, they need food from the food pantry and they don't have the, an ability to get here. And so as, as they said that, uh, I said, okay, well, give me your address and I can bring it to you. Now, there's a human side of me that's like, wait a second, I'm the pastor. Like, I shouldn't have to do that. But you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. There's no job that's too small. And so it doesn't matter if it's bringing um, groceries over to somebody. It doesn't matter if it's cleaning the toilet. Whatever it may happen to be, there, there should never be a situation where as a Christian I look at that and say, you know what, I, I'm better than that. I, I'm not going to obey in that small situation. Even though the world is all about I, I need to have recognition and I need to have pride and I need to have everybody looking at me, as a Christian, if I want to be great, the thing I need to remember is my audience is not trying to impress everybody around me. My audience is trying to impress God the Father. And so as I'm trying to impress Him, if I go and do something that's really small, I'm obeying Christ, I'm doing what He asked me to do, and it ends up in a situation that's really small, maybe I'm not going to get any recognition, nobody's going to pay any attention. It doesn't matter. 
because God the Father is paying attention, and through that, and this is what we're going to get into, and through that, he is working in my life to make me into who he wants me to be. So as we do these things, we see God working in our life to bring about greatness. So let's talk about that in a second in three, right now in three parts. So as we talk about Jesus saying here, do these things and you will be great, he's not just saying, although it is true, and I just noted this, that you know, he's paying attention to us and he is pleased with us, and so we, we have his pleasure. That's a good thing. But there's also a process. As I humbly obey Christ, even in the smallest of circumstances, that's going to create something in my life that's going to send me down a trajectory where I become somebody that God can use to do great things in the kingdom. Let's unpack this in three parts, because it's important to understand how the connect, what the connection is between me doing that thing he's asked me to do, humbly obey Christ even in the smallest of circumstances, and how that's going to move me to greatness. All right, so let's unpack these three parts. How does serving make me great? This is not just empty gas that Jesus is throwing out there as a pretty idea. Doing this will get us to where God wants us to be to do great things. Let's talk about how. Number one, humble obedience leads to a transformed heart. Humble obedience leads to a transformed heart. Heart. So this is the first part of the transition. So as I obey in a humble way, as I said a moment ago, I take the teaching of Christ to be my directions. I'm walking forward doing what he asked me to do. And as I do that, th there are certainly impacts in the world. Hopefully as I'm obeying Christ, I'm able to witness somebody. Maybe they get saved. I'm able to show compassion towards somebody. Maybe they're encouraged in their journey. And so there's outside things that happen, and that's a good thing. But my humble obedience also does something else. As I humbly obey, it begins to transform my heart. God is transforming me into somebody who is like Jesus Christ. The goal of the Christian life is not, okay, I get saved, I'm not going to change at all, I'm going to continue to be the person that I am, and then when I die someday and go to heaven, God's going to change me there. No, the idea of what Christ wants to do in our life is He wants to make us like Him now. Not just someday, I mean, he'll finish it then, but he wants to make us like him now. Well, how do I get a transformed heart? How do I become like Jesus? Is it that I show up one hour on Sunday morning, listen to the preacher, and then go about my life? No, that's a, it's a good thing to show up at church on Sunday morning, but that's not the thing we need to do primarily. The main thing we need to do is I want to obey Christ in everything he asked me to do. And as I obey that, as I obey him, he's going to transform me and give me a new heart. He's going to transform my heart into something different than it was before. So as we obey, He transforms us. Well then, what happens once I have a transformed heart? Well, that's the second thing. But before we look there, I want you to look with me in John chapter 14 for just a second. Because there's this beautiful verse, before I get to the next point, about what it looks like when I do obey and He starts to transform me. What does that end up making my heart look like? Look in John 14 and 23. There's two parts here. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Let me pause there for a second. So there are a ton of people who will say, oh, I love Jesus, I love God, I think he's awesome. 
Are you obeying him? Well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm living my own life, but I love Jesus. Okay, here's the deal. If you don't obey Jesus, you don't love him. Period. What's it say? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so, for all the folks that just say, well, you know, oh, I love God, he's so important. Oh, I love Easter Sunday, I love, but I'm, I'm not living for him at all. I just say that I love him. Jesus defines it here. Remember, we talked about earlier about definitions are important. If you love him, you will obey his teaching. And so we need to understand, first of all, that in order to say that I love God, in order to say that I love Jesus, that includes what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to follow him. But listen to what happens. So anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So I'm obeying him. I love Jesus and what he did for me. I'm obeying him because I realize he's the wisest person in the world, and I realize that he loves me, and so I want to obey him. Listen to what happens. I love the, the, the beauty of the next sentence. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. I said transformed heart a minute ago, didn't I? That's what it looks like. That as I obey, I love Jesus for what he did for me. I understand the idea of the cross. I understand the idea of the resurrection. I love Jesus. And so in being saved, I begin to obey him because I love him. And what happens is as I obey him, the Father and the Son come and take up residence with him. They come and make their home with me. That leads to me being transformed. So that leads us to the second thing. So as I have that transformed heart, what happens? A transformed heart, number two, a transformed heart leads to a trustworthy servant. A transformed heart leads to a trustworthy servant. Look with me over in Matthew chapter 24 for a second. Matthew 24. So as we allow Christ into our lives, and as we obey him, I become, as we're talking about there, I become somebody with a transformed heart. And then as somebody with a transformed heart, because I am becoming a new person, and I'm becoming somebody that God can look at when he needs something done, and know that I will actually do it. Because I have a transformed heart that loves God the most, and therefore I'm a trustworthy servant. What, what's an untrustworthy servant look like? I, I wrote down a few examples. Um, somebody who won't do what's right when it's personally difficult for them. God needs something done, and yet that person won't do it because it's difficult. Somebody who won't do what's needed because it's going to cost them money. Somebody who won't obey if it pushes them out of their comfort zone. Somebody who won't stand up if it's not going to make them popular. Somebody who won't trust the words of Christ over what they want to do. There are a lot of people where God has something that he needs done and he can't send you to do it because you're not a trustworthy servant, because you can't be relied on to do what's necessary because you don't have a transformed heart. Look with me. We're in Matthew 24, and I want to look at verse 45. This is, uh, we talked about this last fall, this is the larger end times passage, but uh, the, the point is relevant for today as well. Who then, Matthew 24, 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household 
to give them their food at the proper time. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that it is God's desire as we become trustworthy servants, as we have that transformed heart that leads to us being a trustworthy servant, that God wants to put us in charge of stuff. He, he wants to say, Bill Cook's back there, I'll pick on him. He wants to say, you know what, I need these things done. And you know who I can trust to do that? I can trust Bill Cook. Because he has a transformed heart that has led him to be a trustworthy servant. On the other hand, he might look at me and say, you know, I, I want Jim Butcher to do that, but he, he hadn't been obeying me the way that, that uh, I want him to, and therefore he's not a trustworthy servant. I can't trust him with this. And the ultimate goal, and as I said, this is looking forward, we're going to look at a couple other passages in a moment, this is looking forward to the future as well, is that as we look toward the kingdom that is to come, and as we look toward what all God wants to do in the world, God wants to make us, Jesus wants to make us into people that he can invest his authority in, that he can invest uh, what he desires to have happen in, and know that because of who I am, he can trust that I will bring it about. He wants to transform me into somebody that he can give his authority to and know that I will do what he asks me to do. Well, that's the third thing. Let's look. Look at where the end result is. The third thing is this. A trustworthy servant can be given great authority. A trustworthy servant can be given great authority. So God is trying to transform us into people. As we obey, it leads to a transformed heart, which leads to me being a trustworthy servant. And then as we go forward, as we look into the kingdom that is to come, we talked about this last week. Uh, or last fall, uh, as we look toward what is to come, we don't all go to heaven and just hang out there forever bored out of our minds, but rather there's a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, and he wants to turn us loose as people that are ruling with him because he has transformed us into people that he can give great authority to because we have transformed hearts, have become trustworthy servants, so that he can, rather than him going, okay, now Jim Butcher, listen, I'm going to detail every little thing I need you to do, Instead, he can say, Jim Butcher, I trust your heart. Go and do this. Look, two passages that, that bring this out. Look back, uh, we're in Luke, look, go back to Luke 16 for a second. And I want to look, look at a brief passage in Matthew 25. I know we're looking at a lot of passages, but this is important to unpack that Jesus is saying this, and he's the one that's giving us the opportunity to be great. In Luke 16 and verse 10, this is actually a passage about money as we use it during this life, but it's, it's relevant to all that we do. But in Luke 16, 10, Jesus says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. That takes us right back to the beginning, doesn't it? Remember the definition we gave earlier? about humbly obey Christ even in the smallest of circumstances. There are a lot of us, let's use money for instance, because that's what this passage is about. There are a lot of us that are like, God, if you would just let me win the lottery, I will give you half of it. God, I will be so faithful to you if you just let me win the lottery. I will just do all these things for the kingdom. And God doesn't speak to us verbally, but he might be willing to say, okay, well, you made $100 this week at your job. Did you give any of that to the kingdom of God? Now, no, no, no. I didn't give any of what I have, but if I did have a whole lot, I would give you a whole bunch. 
God knows that's a lie. Because if I had a faithful heart, if I really was somebody who would do that, I would be giving part of what I have now. Why? Because what's that passage say? The person who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And the opposite of that is true also. You can't be trusted with much if you can't be trusted with little. Going back to the beginning, remember I said we obey Christ even in the smallest of circumstances. It's not just that God wants us out of the way and that he wants us to be in obscure places, but rather what he is doing there is he's training my heart. Will you obey me? Will you love me? Will you do what I ask, even when nobody knows about it? Even, even when it's a little obscure thing, but yet I've asked you to do this, will you be faithful in doing that little thing? And when I am, then you realize, okay, you've been faithful in this, I can, give you, I can trust you with more now. Oh, you're faithful in that. I can trust you with more now. The one, as it says there, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. It's God working in our lives as we are faithful to transform our hearts, to make us into people who are trustworthy servants where he can give us great authority. What's that ultimately look like? Matthew 25. Go over to Matthew 25 with me. This is what the end result is. If I do these things this morning, Jim, and I humbly obey so that I have a transformed heart, a transformed heart changes me into a, um, a trustworthy servant, what is, it, what is the end result of what that's going to look like ultimately in my life? In Matthew chapter 25, this is a parable about uh, people being trusted with things in, in this life, and then the master is gone for a long time, and then the master comes back, and he sees what they've done with what he has entrusted with them, which is exactly what we're talking about this morning, and then he rewards them. Listen to Matthew 25. Let's just look at verse 21. Matthew 25, 21. The master, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pause right there. All right, so that's what we talk about at funerals. You know, he was a faithful servant of the Lord, and he will hear when he stands before Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that awesome? Yes. Do I want to hear that? Yes. Should you want to hear that? Yes. We want to stand before God someday, want to stand before Jesus someday, and hear him as he looks at our lives say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? So we want to hear that, and that's important, and that's a beautiful moment. But that's not it. If I have been, going back to everything we've been talking about, if I've humbly obeyed, which has transformed my heart, which has made me a trustworthy servant, what does my eternity look like? 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. Here it is. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. What the Bible teaches us is that as we are faithful and as he transforms our heart and as we become a trustworthy servant, we will rule with Christ in the world that is to come. And so as we think about everything we're talking about this morning, we need to understand, to go back to Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells them there, he says, you need to be a servant like I am. I was willing to do the least of these things. And that's because it's not just an idle thing that I'm throwing at you, but it's because I want to transform your heart into who you are going to be so that I can trust you with great authority. So we take all this, let's go all the way back. I said at the beginning that we were going to relate that to Easter. So how does all this relate to Easter? Well, the thing is, a lot of times when we talk about Easter, and we should, we say, you know, Jesus on Good Friday, he died on the cross for our sins. I'm thankful that he forgave me of my sins, gave me the opportunity for that. I praise the Lord. We talked about this at sunrise service. Jesus rode on Easter Sunday. 
and as he rose, we have eternal life and the ability to overcome death, and we're thankful for both of those things. But sometimes we end it there, and we're just like, okay, this is something I believe, and when I, I go to church on Sunday mornings, I pull this out, and I kind of hold on to this, but the rest of my life has no relevance to that, because that's all just, that's like church stuff. That's all just my belief that I pull out 11 a.m. on Sunday, 9 a.m. on Sunday, and go about my life. No! What Jesus is doing here, going to these passages and the other passages we looked at, when Jesus forgives me of my sins and then gives me new life in Him, it's part of, as He does that, He can then begin the process of transforming me into the person that He wants me to be. It's not just a matter of being saved and unchanged. Jesus wants to change me into a person that He can give great authority to and know because I am so trustworthy, because I've been transformed, that He can give me that authority and say, I know Bill Cook will take care of that. I know Jim Butcher will take care of that. I know because he's a trustworthy servant. Because it started on Easter, but from there, he has been transformed into someone that I trust to do the things that I need him to do. As we understand this this morning, let's go all the way back to the beginning. How to be great. Let's just boil it down to two options this morning. The world tells us if you die with a ton of money in the bank, if you can die with a million dollars in the bank, you are great. You've really done something that is awesome, and you deserve to be lionized and eulogized and lifted up. Jesus says there's a different definition of greatness. And if we do what he says, humbly obey, even in the smallest of circumstances, where that leads us is not a few people praising us at our funeral because we had a bunch of money or had a title, where that leads us is because of who we are, because of who he has transformed us to be, we will literally rule with Jesus in the world that is to come. That is the definition of greatness that I can get by. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that I thank you that, that you have not left us in the dark as to how to live our lives. And Father, I pray that for each of us here today um, that we would consider whether we want to be great by your definition, by Jesus' definition or whether we want to continue to run after the things that the world says is true. It's decision time. Help us to choose wisely. I pray in Jesus' name. And amen.